Hi, this is Bruno Del Granado from Creative Artists Agency. You're listening to Your Morning Coffee, the podcast with my friends, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Weekly music news for the new music business. Insightful, entertaining, and always on point. For music business worldwide, there were 589 million paid streaming users in 2022, driving a 9% rise in global recorded music revenue to 26.2 billion dollars. From Billboard, five takeaways from the 2023 IFPI Global Music Report. And another from Music Business Worldwide, 38 million tracks on streaming services were played zero times last year. What? And in parentheses, why Spotify should take a leaf out of Elon Musk's book? <laughs> I, I don't get it. I don't get it, Jay. What are they talking about? Well, we oh, will. You will. We, we will clarify those statements. That and more, because Jay and I are ready to rock and ready to hit the button right about now. Stand by for transmission. This is London calling. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the air. Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Pero si yo prendo, ella le da, ella le da. Entraba en la discoteca sin tener la edad. Oh, yeah. la botella que ya quiere celebrar, celebrar. Si pasa un mal rato, enrola uno y se le va. Es soledad, cuando está en la soledad, se castiga sin piedad. Tú te vienes y te vas. Ella y las amigas son una sociedad y saben lo que va a pasar con los míos si se da. Es soledad, cuando está en la soledad, se castiga sin piedad, tú te vienes y te vas. Ella y las amigas son una sociedad y saben lo que va a pasar con los míos si se da. La maíz también está dura y eso ya lo va a heredar. Estos bobos me tiran, después quieren arreglar. Jay, it feels like a summer day outside. The rain has stopped. That's it beautiful. is a beautiful, sunny day yeah. here in Southern California. A little more rain next week, but hey. What can you do? Can't complain about rain because it's been so dry here. For no, so we needed it, right? We needed it. But boy, we were just talking before, of course, as we always do before the podcast, and talking about 
I mean, we there's enough material, enough stories to cover that we could probably do a couple of shows a week. I mean, it's yeah, or maybe even so, every day. It's just been day. it's yeah. been like drinking from a fire hose. There's so much going on, and we like to joke around that the uh, music industry has changed while we've been having this conversation, and it really has. You know, with with everything that's going on with Latin music and with AI and with TikTok and with all the numbers and reports. You know, we reported on the RIAA report recently, which of course is U.S. numbers. And then this last week, the IFPI numbers came out, which we'll talk about a little bit today. And there's just so much to talk about. So we're just going to curate this and, you know, go with the most important things. But check out your morning coffee, guys, because there's a lot going on. A lot going on. And when you see, and a lot of the things that we talk about that, that typically are more on the business side of the business, uh, they're in mainstream media now. Lots of people talking, of course, the TikTok thing. And, sure, AI. Uh, just, and AI, and boy, it is just every news cycle, you're seeing more and more things about all of the things that we're interested in talking <laughs> about. But, right, uh, right. You know, when it bubbles up to the to the mainstream media side of things, you yeah. know that it's interesting. The, yeah, the tides are turning. Curious. Yeah, the exactly. Turning. And how well, about that a, intro? Um, sorry, that, that the intro from Bruno Del Granado. We yeah. love Bruno. Um, he's really helped kind of guide us when it comes to Latin music. And that song that we were just listening to is Mike Towers, uh, Isada. Uh, amazing, uh, amazing song, amazing artist. And he's one of those that's kind of the, one of these up and coming um, Latin music stars. And uh, I had a really interesting conversation with uh, Bruno this last week. And just to give you an idea of who uh, Bruno is and where he's been, um, last May he did one of my favorite podcasts and yours too, which is Strictly Business uh, mm-hmm. with Shirley Halperin over at oh, Variety. Yeah. And I think she put it best in her intro. <laughs> she put it like this. Gloria Estefan, Ricky Martin, Mark Anthony, Bad Bunny, Maluma, all are on a first name basis with Bruno Del Granado, head of Global Latin Music Touring at CAA. And he was on that podcast, and you have to listen to it if you haven't. It was last May. And she goes on to say, it's no wonder seeing that he's played no small role in their successes throughout the years. First as an executive you know, at MTV, later as a manager, and for the last nine years as an agent executive at CAA. So here is... Uh, a little bit of my conversation uh, with Bruno this last week, you know, basically about the state of the union of Latin music and some of these other events that are coming up and then maybe a glimpse into some of these up and coming Latin music stars. Let it roll. Bruno. So good to see you. Um, The billboard Latin music week and Latin music awards were just announced. Uh, Latin music week will take place on Monday, October 2nd to Friday, October 6th. Meanwhile, the 30th annual Billboard Latin Music Awards will be held October 5th and will air on the Telemundo Network. Which brings me to this. Latin music streaming growth, it's increased by 33% in 2022. It's just a beast. The rise of Latin music is largely attributed to streaming, uh, as well as the music itself, of course, to reach a more global audience. Tell us a little bit about the state of Latin music today. Well, we, we're just coming off a very strong year. 2022, uh, Latin music generated $1 billion in revenue, which was a, an average 35% growth, whereas the overall uh, market only 
revenues are up, I guess, 20% or something. So we are really on fire. 2023 has started off with a bang as well. Um, a bunch of great releases. Uh, and it, it's all because of our demographic. There are 62 million Hispanics in the U.S. Uh, we are 20% of the overall population. Uh, Latins are 20% of all U.S. online streaming subscribers. So we consume music a lot more because the average Latin music fan spends 30% more music in an average week than the general market. And we, we listen to 20% music in an average week in the Latin, uh, general market. So it's a combination of the demographics, the fact that Latins are very engaged in technology and in and, and social media. And, uh, and that's compounding. And of course, like you said, the music, right? Because the beats, the melodies are just so... Uh, infectious to not only Latins, but the general market and also globally. We notice that Latin music has really gone global now and it's giving K-pop a run for its money in, when it comes to these non-traditional Anglo music genres that are just exploding all over the place. Um, and, and if you, obviously you and I are kind of the same generation, you, you know, this, the internet has leveled the playing field. When I started in the business over at, at Sony CBS Records, the Latin music department was very small. When you walk into, you would walk into a record store. The Latin section was the smallest one of them all. You know, classical was 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 so big, and so was jazz and R&B and everything else. But Latin was one, probably a couple of racks, maybe one or two racks, and that was it. Our Latin radio back then was mostly AM. Uh, the latest ratings uh, a couple of weeks ago, the number one station in the United States across all formats, whether it's uh, terrestrial streaming. Everything compounded is Latin. Number one in New York, La Mega, 97. So it, 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 we're at a, a different level than we were when I started 30-something years ago, right? So, um, And this is because of technology, because of the Internet as well, because now uh, an artist can, can, can record and post his or her music, and overnight it could spread globally, whereas we had gatekeepers back in the past who would prevent that from happening. Yeah. You know, there was an article last week in the LA Times about uh, Mike Towers, and it got me thinking, you know, I'd love to hear from you. Talk a little bit about some of the rising stars that should be on our radar. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, just, just to go back a little bit, you know, when, when we when we hear about, oh, the general market's discovering Bad Bunny or Mike Towers that you mentioned him now, I go back to Ricky Martin when, when he, he performed at the, at the Grammys in 1999, the big song Cup of Life, and he won the Grammy that year. It was like America discovered Ricky Martin. It was like, wait, wait a second. That song had been number one in 50 countries the year before because of the World Cup, right? So it's the same things happening. Bad Bunny has been huge in our world for four or five years now, right? Uh, and, 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 and all these acts that are starting to quote unquote crossover, like Carol G who just had a number one debut the other day. It's like, it's, you know, this is the first all Spanish language, um, female debut on the billboard top 200. They've been around for a while for us. So it's really interesting because when people say, well, you know, I just discovered this artist. I'm like, well, wait a second. This artist has been around for four or five years. You know, uh, Mike Towers has been around four years. Um, there are a couple of others who are hotter than hot right now because, you know, obviously last year, Bad, Bad Bunny led the, 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 the pack and he kind of, you know, it was him and everybody else was way, uh, you know, behind him. But this year we have Raul Alejandro, who's on a major tour. He's another one who three, four years ago was just starting out. Um, he's just released his second album, uh, which debuted at number one on the Billboard um, Latin charts. Uh, he has a sold out 
26 city US tour. And he's somebody we're gonna be watching very closely as he develops into the next level, which would be, okay, we're gonna quote unquote cross him over to a much wider audience in the US and globally, right? Carol G we've just mentioned, who a couple of years was completely unknown in general market. She's an artist from Colombia, South America. And now she just finished once again, a sold out uh, arena tour. She just did two nights in Puerto Rico the other day at the baseball stadium. That was 30,000 people a night. So we, we, it was just, it's, it's, it's such a, such a big market. Uh, and it shows no sign of abating anytime soon, just because number one, folks are interested in Latin sounds globally. And number two, there are over 600 million Latinos, Hispanics, or whatever you want to call us around the world as well. So that's that huge base that these artists have as a platform to later springboard to bigger and greater things. Awesome. Uh, such a pleasure to see you, Bruno, as always, my friend. Uh, let's do this again. You got it. Thanks, Jim. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye. I think for both of us, one of the one of the blessings of doing this podcast has been coming in contact with people that we didn't know before. We certainly know a lot of people, but uh, we didn't know Bruno. I didn't know Bruno. You didn't know Bruno. We didn't and know Shirley. You didn't know Shirley. That's right. Um, uh, but the fact that that having more resources uh, to help us understand areas of the business that we don't understand or don't have much experience in has been such a wonderful thing. And that's what oh, I am yeah. appreciative of. And Bruno has really hipped us to so many things on that side of the planet in terms of Latin music. And of course, Latin music is gigantic. It's yeah. an enormous. It and, really you know, is. We, and we have mentioned this also at the time, you know, when we were working in, in major labels, there was an international department, but they were like down the hall and downstairs and very rarely did did the U.S. market and the international guys kind of even talk, you know? Yeah, and now, you know, I remember when I worked at Universal, they had hired somebody just to specialize um, in Latin music. Mm -hmm. And today it's become, because of streaming, it's there is no international. It's right. global. Everything's global. And, yes. you know, with K-pop and with Latin music, it has become just massive and it's just such a, a thrill each uh, each time I get to uh, speak with Bruno such a great guy and he's so knowledgeable about the history of Latin music and he's also able to kind of peek around the corner a little bit and give us a glimpse of where it should be or could be going but what tremendous growth almost 35% year over year so thanks again to uh, Bruno for uh, for that and by the way JU had a really special episode of the music business weekly the Music Biz Weekly podcast this week, I should say. I always mess that up. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Too many podcasts to keep track of. Uh, but yeah, you had a really interesting uh, episode coming up. And, and well, let's tell us a little bit about that. Well, we already dropped it. It was one of those that we recorded and then just immediately dropped. And, you know, I've been doing this podcast with Mike Branvold for years. Uh, we're, we're on episode 560, if you can believe that. And I wow. think I was probably on over half of those, probably close to 300 of those. But we had a chance to talk to Timothy Bogart. And if that name sounds familiar, he's the son of music industry legend, Neil Bogart. And there's a new film uh, that's out and it's called Spinning Gold. And I had a chance to see a screener of it. And you just forget 
I mean, how many careers he launched and how instrumental he was in just, you know, whether it was the rock band Kiss or disco music or whatever it was, there's a great piece in Variety um, called The Long Road to Spinning Gold, how Neil Bogart's sons created the biopic about the legendary Casablanca uh, Records founder. So if you don't know about Neil Bogart, he first became an executive at Buddha Records. Um, He's credited with being a key player in the rise of bubblegum pop during that time, and, you know, working with Cameo Parkway and Buddha, uh, they handled a variety of music genres, including like, you know, that bubblegum pop, you know, Ohio Express, 1910 Fruit Gum, Com- Fruit Gum Company, that's easy for you to say, folk rock from Melanie, which you and I were talking mm-hmm. about before we hit record, we were. experimental music, Captain Beefheart, and even Gladys Knight and the Pips. Right. He started Casablanca back in 1973 when he first signed Kiss and later became identified with the rise of disco by promoting the careers of acts like Donna Summer and the Village People. Uh, the Casablanca roster also contained rock acts such as Gods, T-Rex, Fanny and the Hudson Brothers. Of course, we talked about Kiss. But the label bo- uh, became best known for its disco product. It was also known for tapping into the funk market by the signing of George Clinton's Parliament back in 1974. I remember buying Parliament records oh, and looking yeah. on the label and seeing that it was on Casablanca. <laughs> uh, shortly before his death back in 1982, he founded Boardwalk Records and jumped on the new wave bandwagon as disco was in decline. He signed Joan Jett, Phil Seymour, and Harry Chapin amongst the last signings. He was only 39 years old when he passed, wow. just like, Wow. Uh, but certainly a legend and a legendary Absolutely. character and uh, a free spending legend, shall we say? Uh, in the, in the time <laughs> There's the some great is. stories, right? And, and listen, um, you, I've seen the film Spinning Gold. It's absolutely fantastic. But, you know, doing over 500 episodes, you know, Music Biz Weekly Podcast, we've interviewed a lot of interesting people. But this is probably my favorite episode of all of them, because as what happens with you and I, when we're having these conversations and we talk about this sometimes in the beginning, we're aware that there's an audience and we're aware that we have an agenda and things we want to make sure we cover. But very quickly that melts away and it's just you and me um, talking and we do this over Zoom so we can actually see each other as we're having this conversation. And that's what it was like with Timothy. It quickly melted away and it was me Mike Branvold, Timothy, and we just started talking about the passion he has for music because he wrote and produced this film Mm -hmm. and he was in the room Uh, as a young child. He would be hanging out at the Casablanca offices and saw a lot of this stuff going on. So I highly recommend uh, Spinning Gold. Uh, such a great film, and and if you get a chance, check out the Music Biz, Mus- Music Biz Weekly podcast. See, it's hard for me to say, too. Uh, episode number 560 with uh, Timothy Bogart. And is this is this going to be a regular uh, release in theaters, or is this, is this on yeah, one of the streaming it'll platforms? it'll be theatrical, it's absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, and I know they worked for a long time to get this thing made and wanted to tell that story. And, you know, it's in... There's so many sort of uh, business people that were just not only leaders, but characters, you know, and <laughs> For sure. was a, and the stories, you know, even when I first got in the business, you know, it hadn't been that long since he had passed away. But right. uh, the st- I heard all kinds of just crazy stories. Because it was a different was, era, like you and I were era. talking about before yeah. we hit record. Those characters back then, it was... 
you know, fast and loose. And it was, you know, these companies weren't owned really by corporations as much as the, they were these pioneers in the music industry, the Mo Austins of the world. And, uh, you know, those types of people, um, Clive Davis, you know, the list goes on and on. And honestly, I would put Neil Bogart in that company. He was a visionary and I don't throw that term around loosely. No. And, and certainly was taken away far too soon. But of course that was also the era Hold your ears, Jay. But I think there was a little bit of drug use going on during. You those take years that back. Well. I I know. I, I this is just anecdotal stuff that I've heard, but um, I find that hard to believe in the music industry in the seventies. <laughs> you might want to check your facts on that. I will do that. I will do that. <laughs> well, what do you say? Oh, by the way, you know we wouldn't, we couldn't do the show, Jay, without fabulous partners to help us get the show together and. Uh, you know, from the very beginning, we've been super blessed to have sponsors, and including HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It is edited daily by, by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Alana Bonilla. HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by Live Music Discovery and Marketing Platform, Bands in Town. I'm so glad that you remembered uh, to give the shout out to these people who are supporting us because I think last week we almost forgot and we got it at the tail end because we got so excited about the stories we were talking <laughs> did, about. Yes. But we'd also like to thank Bands in Town. Over 74 million live music fans trust Bands in Town. I know we do. To get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one artist services platform connecting over 560,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, Labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. And Bands in Town is always on my first page on my iPhone. Amen. Crying out loud. Absolutely. Hey, we are also sponsored by the Music Business Association. For more than six decades, the Music Biz Conference has been the point of origin for inspiration and collaboration in the music business. Join us for the Music Biz Conference in Nashville, May 15th through 18th. So big thanks to the Music Business Association, Banzoogle, Hypebot, and Bands in Town. Boy, we are so, so fortunate. Totally appreciate that. And of course, who else do I appreciate but the 33rd hardest working man in show business, my good friend. Yeah, I moved up a couple of notches. A couple of notches. Well, you were busy this week, so uh, (laughs) that has been noted on the the grand scheme of things. I appreciate you. Who's working the hardest in the business, including Jay, for sure. Uh, Jay Gilbert, if you don't know him, he's a music business consultant. He is the curator of the weekly weekly Your Morning Coffee newsletter and a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, and Warner Music as well as Fox Home Entertainment, and let's be honest, a sharp dresser, a good dancer, and just a handsome dude. Wow, I wish any of those things were true, but I am so thankful uh, each week uh, that I get to do this with my good friend Mike Etchart, a uh, longtime host of Sound & Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music Groups. Wow. There we go. Well, what do you say we jump into these stories, Jay? The first one is from our good friends over at Music Business Worldwide. There were 589 million paid streaming users in 2022, driving a 9% rise in global recorded music revenues to 26.2 billion dollars. And that's good. That's, that's good that's news. A big number. But remember, it? A big number. it is, but remember what Glenn Peoples had in his ledger uh, newsletter a couple of weeks ago, even though these are good numbers, um, 
it's still a decline in the growth. Um, and just again, just to remind people, we're talking about IFPI, uh, the report that comes out, um, and that's a worldwide view. And again, RIAA is the U.S. So a couple of key takeaways. Uh, global recorded music revenues grew 9% year over year, um, which is great. And like you said, that's $26.2 billion and marked the global music market's eighth consecutive year of growth. Now paid streaming, which is, you know, versus ad supported. We'll cover that in a second, but paid streaming subscriptions were key to this growth subscriptions, um, you know, to audio streaming, that revenue increased by 10.3% year over year to $12.7 billion globally in 2022. Right. So total streaming, including both paid subscriptions and advertising supported, uh, grew by 11.5% year over year to reach $17.5 billion in 2022 and accounted for 67% of total global recorded music revenues. Mm. Recorded music revenues in Asia grew by 15.4% year over year, with its largest market, Japan, seeing growth of 5.4%. Asia's second largest market, which is China, grew by more than 20%, actually 28.4%, and became a global top five market for the first time. Uh, Canada's recorded music revenues increased uh, year over year by 8.1%. And as of 2022, according to the IFPI, the world's top 10 music markets were, starting from the top, number one, USA, Mm -hmm. number two, Japan, number three, UK, number four, Germany, number five, China, as we mentioned, number six, France, number seven is South Korea, followed by Canada at number eight, Brazil at number 10, and Australia at number two. I'm sorry, uh, Brazil at number nine and Australia at number 10. Apparently I can't count, Jay. Um, <laughs> so it's interesting, again, to kind of get the worldwide perspective yeah. of what's going on out there and seeing yeah. the kind of jockeying, the moving around and China entering that the in here in the top five. So Yeah, uh, the growth of those Asian markets, <clears throat> pretty impressive. France being bumped out of the top five for the first time in years. Um, and we always look at Japan because it's the number one physical market in the world. Yeah. And there's still, I think, 90 Tower Records locations there. I would love to go record shopping uh, yeah. over in Tokyo. That's on my bucket list. But, you know, it's they're not totally physical. Even though they're the number one, <clears throat> excuse me, the number one uh, physical market, they're definitely growing on the, uh, on the digital side. So an incredible uh, report from Music Business Worldwide, you know, about the IFPI, uh, report, which leads us uh, beautifully into the next piece, which is from Billboard. It's uh, written by Richard Smirk. And I always love these Billboard um, five takeaways articles because they go through the report like we we did and like Music Business Worldwide did. And everybody sort of gets a different take on what these different stats mean. We yes. rattle off a lot of figures, you know, a lot of dollar amounts and growth percentages and things like that. And some of the interesting points can be lost in that. So the next piece we'll jump into is from Billboard. And again, the headline is five takeaways from 2023 IFPI Global Music Report as revenue growth slows, as we mentioned, in the developed world. AI makes executives nervous, China surges to number five, and all eyes turn to Africa's massive potential. Right, exactly. You know, and 
again, we've talked about this so many times, but it is such a worldwide business. And interesting, as you see the more developed markets kind of slow down, here you look to countries that we never, ever considered in, in our day, which is like, did anybody ever talk about the African market in, no. in, in our business? No, not at all. No. So, you know, so of course, we kind of did talk about the growth uh, slowing down. And we, we did mention that physical format revenue, interestingly, climbed 4% compared to 16% back in 2021. Uh, while music sales in the world's three biggest markets, the U.S., Japan, and, and the U.K., all grew around 5% last year, last year compared with the double-digit gains back in 2021, which were, gosh, huge at that time. Remember, yeah. like up 22.6% and 13.2% respect in Big. the U.K. Yeah. Yeah. Huge, huge, huge. But, hey, these things do kind of come down, and that was, of course, the exceptional growth was partly fueled by that post-pandemic bounce back in music consumption and... You know, that's, uh, but still, executives at that London launch last week were saying they're still confident the market was not about to plateau, which is yeah. good news. Yeah, but- the growth has slowed, but it's mm-hmm. still pretty impressive growth. Um, the next one, which has been so hot in the news lately, is their sub headline is when robots take over, <laughs> right? The yes. future role that artificial intelligence, AI, will play in the record business was raised several times at this launch event with executives keen to highlight the technology's potential for commercial growth, as well as some of the risks and challenges that it brings. Some executives saw potential benefits in using AI to better analyze and understand fan engagement trends, artist discovery, but as you and I covered last week, we talked about David Guetta and that, that track that he used sampling you know, Eminem's voice. And you and I played with AI a little bit this week, just with some intros to the podcast, which is fun and horrifying, where you can have something like ChatGPT4 create some lyrics in the style of a certain artist, but then you can take it to another piece of software and have it transfer that text into the voice of somebody famous. And what we did is we took a voice, which we'll share with people down the road uh, as we get deeper into this. Uh, We didn't want to necessarily just take some celebrity's voice. So we did a famous British celebrity and really just did our intro with an English, uh, not English accent, an American accent on an English person. But I, but I digress. So, you know, it says when robots take over, people are very nervous right now because the technology is way ahead of the business and the law. Absolutely. You know, and they, and as they say in this article, execs issued a stark warning about human artistry being devalued at the expense of technology. AI developers, they said, could uh, fail to respect the rights of creators by using artist recordings to generate new content without authorization, a threat that Michael Nash, who's the executive VP and chief digital officer over at UMG, mm-hmm. said that he placed at the top of industry issues that need to be addressed. He said, we need to work very hard to define new models so that we can enable generative AI without looking away from what is essentially going to be a wholesale hijacking of the intellectual property of the entire creative community, he wrote in the IFPI's Global yeah. Music Report. Yeah, and cycle, that's so. that's super important right now because as I'm talking to my music industry uh, lawyer friends, Uh, they're just saying that this is a wild, wild west. Like we said, the technology has gotten ahead of us now. And there's some things that you and I have covered on the podcast. One, that if something's created entirely with AI, it's not copyrightable at this point. 
But then there's this larger elephant in the room, which is like with that M&M, if you're using AI and that's obviously looking at his body of work and creating this voice, that is from his body of work. So he right. should be, you know, there should be publishing associated with that. But we're, we're getting to figure out what those parameters should be. Right. Another thing they brought up that we kind of touched on was streaming may dominate, but physical is far from dead. Yes. Uh, having enjoyed a post-pandemic renaissance in 2021, when sales of CDs increased for the first time this millennium, and overall physical <laughs> sales grew 16.1%, physical format revenue continued to be surprisingly resilient last year, rising 4% to $4.6 billion. It was the second consecutive year of growth for the format, once considered dead. Yes. Almost half, about 49.8% of those global revenues came from Asia, as we were saying, where the humble CD remains a popular music purchase, particularly in South Korea and Japan, the region's largest music market and the world's second biggest behind the U.S. Well, let's and, take a look at that really quickly, yeah. right? You and I, at the risk of beating a dead horse, um, we talk about vinyl and what could those percentages and revenue and numbers be if we were able to fulfill 100% of the orders. Right. And I, things are getting better. I'm hearing from mm -hmm. my friends at Pressing Plants that it's gone from nine, 10 months, now closer be, between four and six months to turn around premium vinyl. So things are definitely improving. They're getting more capacity and that number's coming down. But they talk about how vinyl revenues trajectory continued year over year, rising 17.1% from 2021 to 2022. So... Again, what could that have been? Um, who knows? But watch for vinyl in the coming years to have a, a bigger piece of that pie. Right. And then as we kind of touched on also, uh, the next part they're talking about here is all eyes turn towards Africa. Sub-Saharan Africa overtook the Middle East and North Africa as the fastest growing region in 2022 with music sales rising almost 35% wow, year 35%. over year crazy driving that growth with South Africa's thriving music industry Africa's biggest market which cl uh, climbed by more than 31% last year compared to a modest 2.4% growth in 2021 so what a unbelievable improvement over just a year prior and there's still they, like you said there's this opportunity for growth even with that tremendous 35% yes. year over year out of a population of 50 million they only have about 4 million paid streaming subscribers. So there's a lot of potential there. Right. Although they say, nevertheless, the challenge of converting users of ad-based music services to paid subscription remains a considerable one, says Temi Adeniji, I think, president of Warner Music Africa, with South Africa having around 4 million paid subscribers out of, popul out of a population of nearly 50 million people. He also said the burgeoning global popularity of Amapiano, a genre which originated in South Africa, was already producing crossover hits in markets like Nigeria. I'm sorry, Temi is a she. So she predicts an infusion of the Amapiano uh, Ama elements into other international music scenes over the next few years to further drive the region's development as a key music territory. Yeah, and fantastic. like you said, you know, we, we weren't really talking about Africa, Middle East, North Africa, uh, those regions a, a few years ago. And it's it's really encouraging to see 
see that growth, but also, you know, China becoming a top five music power, you know, for years, music executives have talked up China. Um, it's the world's most populous country. There's over 1.4 billion people there. And uh, according to China's national Bureau of statistics. So it's a huge music market in waiting Yes, there are piracy issues with Russia, China, other markets, but there's a lot of potential there. And it was, they're saying that it was finally realized to some degree because, you know, China overtook France, you know, a longtime mainstay in the upper echelon of the music industry as the fifth largest music market worldwide. So it's interesting to see these shifts. Um, it's it's interesting to see how this Asian market is is growing, and there's so much more potential there already. Yeah, well, and you know that the the woman from uh, Warner Music down in Africa was also mentioning that you know, and this is kind of the the artistic side of things, which is you know, as as these regions become more populous and more tuned into to what's going on in terms of services, but then that music starts to filter out and people start to, to go, oh, that's interesting, I like that. And then you start to see this kind of mixture of different musics and then it spreads yes. and it's fascinating from a creative standpoint. Yes, that globalization of exactly. music. We saw it with K-pop, we saw it with Latin. Are we gonna see it with African music? Are we gonna see I it with- I think so. I think we will too. I think as yeah. that music is exposed to more people, those audiences will grow, I mean- yeah, history never repeats. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, which is, it'll be fun to kind of see that. And and now I can really hardly wait for the for next year's thing to see. You know, when you see something jump up in the 30s percentage wise, that's crazy. Uh, that's crazy. And of course, it's still mostly ad supported things that are happening down there. But you know, again, this this is the development of territories, and it takes a while, but it's going pretty fast in yep. certain areas for sure. Absolutely. All right, Jay, let's move on to our next story um, uh, from Music Business Worldwide. This is so fascinating. 38 million tracks on streaming services were played <laughs> zero times last year. Or why Spotify should take a leaf out of Elon Musk's book. I think yeah, and before we jump in, British remember, stuff. you and I laughingly refer to this uh cool website called Forgotify because <laughs> right. you can go on Forgotify and they will play you a song that's never been played once. And right. I didn't know what that exact number was. I knew it was large, but as you just pointed out, 38 million tracks on streaming services were played zero times last year. Ouch. Well, and, and before we get going on the story, I, I should share something that I learned, you know, back in our days at Universal. Sure. So we were in this advanced technology group and we were looking on kind of new ways of, of delivering content and figuring out new content to deliver. And one of the things that as we were kind of dipping our toes in this water that I was just stunned to hear was really how much it costs to just to, to store stuff, storage, digital storage, and then serving it. So somebody has to pay all of those bills. Yeah, and we don't think about that, do we? It, think everybody thinks that. that digital distribution is free. You know, it used to be that you had to create a product, right? We're talking about ownership versus access. And you had to create a product 
and then you had to ship that product. Sometimes you had to return that product, but even the return product, the, the dirty little secret was a lot of it was stored in a warehouse. There was fees attached to that, and then it had to be insured, and then you would destroy that excess yeah. obsolescent um, you know, inventory, <clears throat> obsolete inventory, and there was a fee associated with that, and everybody thought, well, when you go to digital, all those fees will go away. But as you're pointing out, they didn't really go There's away, other not all of them. Well, let's talk about some of those fees, right? Yeah. <clears throat> you had just touched on, well, if you're a digital distributor, you have to have servers. You have mm -hmm. to have people taking care of those servers and having software and APIs and all these things to you know, control that, that vast number of songs that you have. Most DSPs have 100 million tracks. And you don't just store all of those on a server for free, right? No, you do not. And then there's there's the actual movement of those files, getting them, you know, so if you've got your stuff stored in the cloud on the West Coast and you need stuff to get to the East Coast, there, it's really, it doesn't just seamlessly go places. And I remember working with a company called Akamai that I think they're still oh, sure. around. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, learning about their kind of how they get, how they move the bits around and... It is not an insignificant task, and there are costs associated with that and working out those deals. So that's kind of a framework to how we yeah. do to, to kind of talk about this. And but you're setting the stage with this right. because this article talks about that area that we don't typically talk about. That's why this is an article that's split, and I'll let you kick it off, but there's a lot, um, there's two parts to this article um, from Music Business Worldwide. Part is what you just pointed out, that 38 million tracks have never been played once in the last year. But the other part of it is Spotify should take a leaf out of Elon Musk's book, and they get into what they're talking about there. Sure. It says, you may have read in the media that Elon Musk is now selling blue tick verification for a monthly subscription price. What you might not have read about uh, is Musk's stick to this carrot like a like a canny gangster, <laughs> Twitter has begun robbing its users' wow. technical security before, seconds later, offering to replace it for a tidy sum. Mm. Uh, this last Wednesday, uh, the, the Music Business Worldwide team received the following email from Twitter informing them that their Music Business Worldwide profile no longer enjoyed two-factor authentication. They said, if you weren't aware, two-factor authentication uh, is essentially receiving a unique code each time you log on to a service in order to ensure no one dodgy is hacking into your account. <laughs> right. Guess how many, how many one uh, reinstates mobile two-factor authentic authentication on Twitter? Yep. <clears throat> Start paying Elon for a monthly subscription. This is Musk playing hardball. How much do you have to value the security of your Twitter account? Are you willing to risk being hacked? And, and unmentionables being tweeted out in your name. If not, pay up. So begrudgingly, uh, Music Business Worldwide had to. Um, there's a wider business lesson to be learned here, though. Elon Musk's stone-hearted decision to start selling an essential service benefit that we've long grown accustomed to uh, having for free, that idea in turn, has brought to mind the good ship Spotify, as they say, you know, and a fascinating slide from this um, particular presentation at South by Southwest last week. Right. So if you uh, it, it, this this particular um, slide shows the to 2022 global audio track streaming pyramid 
So let's let's kind of take some of the things that, that are on here. It says, uh, for, first of all, the presentation came from Rob Jonas, who's the CEO of Luminate. And that's, right. the, of course, the entertainment market monitor and insights provider that was once known as MRC Data and Nielsen Music Sounds before that. Good, yeah. so, so first of all, check this. There are 67.1 million tracks sitting on music streaming services today that, in the 2022 calendar year, attracted 10 or fewer streams apiece globally. Wow. That's 61 point, I'm sorry, 67.1 million figure represents just under half, about 42% of the entire catalog of tracks available on worldwide music streaming services today. The entire catalog of music on these streaming platforms is comprised of about 158 million tracks total. So they're saying... (laughs) Damn near half of these tracks have only been heard 10 times or less. Yeah. What happened to that long tail we were reading That's about? Right. So, so get this. Prepare yourself for this next stat. Nearly a quarter, 24%. So nearly a quarter of the 158 million tracks on streaming services monitored by Luminate last year attracted zero plays that year. That's approximately 38 million tracks. 38 million Zero plays. Not, I love this line from the article. Um, not one single sausage finger pressed a forward facing arrow underneath the artwork of any of these songs on any streaming service, anywhere, at any time, the entirety, 365 days of 2022. I think we're starting to get it now. It's almost enough to make you cry, but as they point out in the article, not me though, it made me think of Spotify. Right. So Spotify doesn't publish a precise figure for what this Google cloud storage costs it annually. But Spotify does publish in its annual SEC uh, filed report the monetary yearly increase in its company's costs for usage of cloud computing services and additional software Uh, license fees. What this means, Music Business Worldwide is able to figure out the minimum amount that Google's cloud storage services plus other software licenses are costing Spotify annually. So here's the question. If Spotify is now shoveling a handsome nine-figure fee over to Google each year for cloud hosting services, where is the revenue coming from to cover that bill? Well, the answer is right now that revenue is coming from Spotify's three sole income streams. You got it. Advertising, number one. Subscriptions and to a much or less extent, number three. uh, Subscriptions, number two. And number three is on-service marketing fees paid for by the music industry. Interesting. In other words, these hefty cloud hosting costs, they're directly eating into Spotify's margin at a time when analysts across Wall Street are paying for Spotify to increase its margin. So what if Spotify was to take a leaf out of Elon Musk's book regarding two-factor authentication that we just talked about? What if Spotify also started ruthlessly, ruthlessly, that's easy for you to say, passing on the cost of a utilitarian technological benefit to its individual B2B clients, aka artists, But this time, the cloud hosting costs required to keep music available in its library, especially if it started billing under threat of takedown, the millions of artists behind those 38 million tracks, still an unbelievable stat, that have attracted zero streams in 2022. 
Right. And by extension, the artist behind the 42% of tracks that attracted 10 or fewer streams last year, no pay, no stay, if you're unplayed. Uh, As things stand, Spotify can't technically do this, um, at least directly. Its monetary relationship with, uh, with said B2B customers, 9 million artists and counting, can only take place via middlemen in terms of distribution and record companies. The most important sector, volume-wise, of those middlemen, DIY distributors, whose self-uploading clients are responsible for the majority of new music pushed onto streaming services. Vast catalog, as we said, 158 million tracks and counting. Right, and when you say DIY distributors, we're talking about DistroKid, you know, CD Baby, TuneCore, right, sure. yeah, some of those folks. Um, if only there was a way for Spotify to have a direct distribution relationship with artists so that it could do an Elon, as they say, and start billing said acts one-to-one for essential B2B services. Oh, yeah, there is. Spotify launched a direct DIY distribution product for artists in 2018, only to shut it down the next year under pressure from major record companies. Remember that? Of course. Since then, the likes of SoundCloud and, amazingly in recent context, TikToks, SoundOn, have launched their own DIY distribution offerings for music artists. Four years on from the last time Spotify abandoned its own music distribution question operation, I should say, it's time for Daniel Eck and company to have another crack at this market. Well, very interesting. And, you know, we've, of course, we've talked about that before, about all of this pressure that Wall Street is applying to them to... To, to make be more be more profitable and this is a huge expense for them you know yeah. we talked about they also have lovely office offices in many cities <laughs> and very high priced real estate but this is an ongoing fixed cost for them and it's got to be gigantic we it's, don't really know how yeah. big it is they're, they're guessing but it's giant they're making a pretty good educated guess and by the way the people making that guess um, and the kind of the leader, um, and founder of Music Business Worldwide, one of our favorite sites and podcasts, is none other than Tim Ingham. And I got a really nice note last week from Tim Ingham, and I've been following him for so long, and uh, we've been reporting on their great coverage uh, throughout this podcast. It was really uh, quite a, a thrill for me uh, to get that note uh, about our humble um, newsletter and podcast. Uh, I know I shared that with you, Mike, and uh, it was really cool. I think I had made the comment last week that I'm not sure if Tim is AI or if he's a robot or something. (laughs) He's so perfect. Well, he's flawless. If you ever listen to there, you got to listen to the Music Biz Weekly, or I'm sorry, Music Biz, Music Business Worldwide, uh, same abbreviations, Um, their podcast, their website, their news, it's you know one of the first places that I go to uh, for anything about the global music business. And when you read what he writes, it's always a little snarky, a little funny. And some of our favorite writers are like that, you know, like Chris oh, Castle, yeah. you know, we talk about and and Glenn, some others. Glenn, Glenn Peoples, Peoples is like that. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So my hat goes off to uh, Tim Ingham over at Music Business Worldwide. This is an area of the business that, frankly, I wasn't even thinking about, you know, that kind of comparing um, Twitter in that now they've been taken over and we've got a new CEO and they're starting to charge for things that used to be free. Um, and could that happen on the DSP side, like with Spotify? And as he points out, they've got all this 
you know, these servers and all of this uh, internal uh, ecosystem that costs money to run. And I hadn't really thought of like, wow, what if they start charging people? Yeah. If you're, if you're on the platform and you're not getting any spins, now you're a cost to Spotify. You're not generating revenue for them. Could that happen? I don't know, but it's interesting to talk about. Or I wonder if they could have some sort of a, a you know, a caveat in, in whatever agreements they have with the distributors that, in, that are in the middle between the artist and Spotify that says, you know, after a certain period of time, if there is no, if there are no plays, the music comes down. Right. Um, you know, it's, I don't know, but well, I just know that it's a yeah. hellacious cost. My fear there is... I'm a big fan of getting rid of the number count on Spotify because I think it leads people to try to game the system with bots and spin farms and, you know, buying those spins to get that number up. And I think if it were up to me, I think I would remove that um, number to hopefully get rid of some of that uh, behavior. But if you think about it, what would happen if this was implemented? Um, and they did start saying, okay, your music, these titles have not been streamed once. Well, that's going to encourage those rights holders or artists or managers to get some spins on them. And that, that's sure. my only concern is that mm-hmm. if it went down that road, that the gaming of the system that's fairly rampant now, um, we, we covered a piece in your morning coffee this last week where people think that up to 3% of all spins are not legit. What would that number look like maybe if we implemented this? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's something to consider. I don't know, you know, and I don't, there's not an elegant answer to be honest. And there yeah. are those, 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 inter, those distributor DIY distributors that are, are sometimes charging an annual fee for you to upload your music. So if you're paying that fee and then you, you hear through them that Spotify is going to take it down well, then there's a ripple effect there as well. And right. Or an increased it, fee, right? Right, right, yeah. So, you know, again, on the road to uh, to all of the, to fixing a lot of these problems, it is a bumpy and challenging road, and oftentimes with no elegant routes to get you where you want to go. So whether yeah. it's universal music and Tidal working on ways to make streaming better or you're talking about all of these services having these hosting and 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 uh storage yeah. costs for their digital content and imagine what so we're talking music now imagine yeah. what netflix and hbo pays to host all of that digital content of course because video out. takes up a lot more server space than <sighs> audio as much yeah and you know as you're talking about some of these uh you know working on these streaming models there was a story in your morning coffee last week where you know deezer is really committed um, to working with Universal and their data to see if they can come up with a fairer way um, mm-hmm. to, and maybe a more transparent way as well, to pay rights holders and ultimately the artist and songwriters. And, you know, I was at that panel at South by Southwest, you know, with our friend uh, Garrett Levin from DEMA and uh, Amy Thompson from Hypnosis. And really what that entire conversation was about is look, this system is broken um, and for a lot of different reasons. And it's not necessarily nefarious. It kind of grew, just like we were talking about how the technology gets in front of the business. It happened with downloads. It happened Mm -hmm. with streaming. It's now happening with AI. um, 
and we need to catch up and we need to have, we need to kind of reevaluate this whole ecosystem and it's going to be challenging, but we need to make sure that we almost start from scratch. We're in a whole different music business uh, that's changing, you know, minute by minute. Second by second. And, yeah. and of course, so many masters that, that have their own requirements and needs. And uh, boy, I mean, it makes your head spin and it, it makes you take a deep breath to kind of think, okay, how will we approach this? I, I don't have any great answers. Um but I know that there's going to be some painful conversations uh, along many of these lines as yeah. we move forward throughout the year. Yeah. And the, the With growth comes pain. Yeah. With growth comes pain. <laughs> it just <laughs> is. It just is. So on that note, Jay and I want to say thanks for listening in to this episode of the Your Morning Coffee podcast. We also want to thank our fabulous fabulous folks that help us put it on, the Music Business Association, Banzugo, Hypebot, and Bands in Town. Big thanks to my brother, Jay Gilbert, and to our audience. Gosh, Jay and I certainly appreciate you taking the time to listen to us wax poetic about the business that we love. So uh, if, yeah. you, if you would be kind enough, tell a friend about what we're doing. Just one friend. Just one friend is all we ask, and we would certainly appreciate that. So on that note, thanks for listening, everyone. You have a great week. Jay and I will be back next time on the Your Morning Coffee podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.